1: Hello and welcome to Leadership Beyond Borders. I'm Kimberly Lewis, your host. And this series is in cooperation with Cinda, and Cinda brings you thought leaders and business stories from all over the world. Now, Cinda is a nonprofit European association, and you can learn more about Cinda under www.cinda.org. Now, Cinda doesn't only bring you thought leaders and business stories from all over the world; we also have listeners from all over the world. So, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you may be listening from today. And if you're new to the series, let me tell you what this series is about. Leadership Beyond Borders is about the impact globalization, digital transition and the connected world is having on our organizations and what the impact is doing to the kind of leadership we need to drive long-term success in today's economy. In this series, we've talked about everything from business issues such as artificial intelligence, digital transitions and data protection regulations, to leadership issues such as gender balance and business values and ethics that may impact your organization or your individual career. So please listen to us live every Tuesday at 3 p.m. specific time. And if you miss us live don't worry about it because we are on every major podcast platform from Apple to Google to Spotify or all over the net, so you can find us under Leadership Beyond Borders. And I invite you to connect with me at leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com, and tell me what you want to hear about on this show. Drop me an email. And if you're in a leader position or aspire to be in one, regardless if your business is international or local, make sure you join us each week, and we'll make sure that you take away something useful for either your business or yourself. Now, on to today's show, and I'm going to start the listeners with a question, okay? How well do you understand your job? Now, I got this question posed at me um, as I was preparing for the show, and I started to think about it. You know, we all, we apply for positions. We interview, we get job descriptions, but do we always... Right away, honestly, know what kind of contribution this position or the position you're applying to makes to the overall performance of the company. I mean, sometimes yes, sometimes no. Now, part of this responsibility lies with the organization, which should give us clear expectations, deliverables and ranges of responsibility. But a lot of it is up to ourselves. It is also our responsibility to understand what is expected what kind of contribution we'll be making and that's what we're going to talk about today we're going to talk about understanding, contribution, and impact in any of the positions we hold. And we have a very special guest with us. We have Dr. Bill Berman. And Dr. Bill Berman began his career as an academic and practicing clinical psychologist, teaching and conducting research at Cornell University and Fordham University, where he received tenure in 1994. At the same time, Bill started a software and services company to manage healthcare outcomes which he grew and sold to an enterprise healthcare information system company. He served on their executive management team as head of the professional services and expanded the business unit to generate 25% of annual corporate revenues through consulting, implementation, training, and support functions. He is now the head of Berman Leadership and Berman Leadership has been accepted into Forbes Coaches Council. This is an invitation only community for leading businesses and career coaches and after being vetted, uh, they he was selected uh, by a review com- committee to be on Forbes. And he is also the co-author of the book, Influence and Impact, Discover and Excel at what your organization needs from you the most. And this is available on Amazon. So, Bill, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you very much. It's great to be here.
1: Yeah. So, uh, Bill, let's just kind of start out with like the simple stuff. I mean, when you know, people take jobs based on, or they apply for jobs based on job descriptions. But uh, you know, a lot of times the descriptions don't exactly reflect, you know, what the position is, or we don't understand it. Um, how how can we better that process from ourselves?
2: Uh, Kimberly, that's a great question. I think that a lot of times, particularly as we move up in an organization what you're told when you take a new job or when you get when you're in a job and you get a new manager or your organization gets restructured what those expectations are can change and they can change dramatically and it's your job to figure out what your manager wants what your organization wants what your colleagues wants the lot of people focus on the job itself and don't think as much about the context that their job exists in. So every organization has an ecosystem and you have to understand what your role is in that ecosystem in order to be able to really deliver on what the organization wants.
1: Mm-hmm. And and just staying at the very beginning, like if I'm looking at a new job and I'm interviewing for a new job, I mean, are there maybe some questions I could ask to try to get a better understanding of, of what what the general expectations would be for this job?
2: Absolutely, there are two parts to it. First of all, you you should ask questions and you can ask those questions of your manager, um, if you can, your skip level manager, your peers, your direct reports. And those are questions like, what do you think the job involves? What are the key deliverables for the job? What are the metrics that we're evaluated on? Um, those kinds of questions. and But you also need to observe because people can't always tell you exactly what it is they expect from you, and or sometimes they're not comfortable telling you what they expect from you because it doesn't feel right to them. So it's really important that you both um, listen to what people tell you and you observe what they do and how they do it because an impo- a critical part of this is not just what you do in your job, but the way you do your job. Every organization has a culture, just like every country has a culture. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. in the US, every state has a culture. And you have to understand that culture to be really successful in it. You can't, for example, I had a client who came into a very casual, very relaxed environment, Um, people mostly showed up in, in jeans and, and short sleeve shirts, and she was used to dressing in very nice, very elegant, uh, dresses and suits. And so she continued to show up that way and people didn't know what to do with her and they weren't comfortable Mm -hmm. with her. So part of the coaching there was that I gave her was to dress the way the other people were dressing so that Mm -hmm. they felt more comfortable with her.
1: I, I, I think that what you just said on observing is so important Um, to to take a look at what's going around you. And my, my question is sometimes on leaders, why I've seen leaders not be able to tell what they expect from people. Um, Any advice around that? So um,
2: for, for executives and leaders, I think it is, People are always uncomfortable telling people what they expect or what they're looking for. One of the things that we talk to a lot, George and I will talk to a lot of our clients about, is ask your manager how they like to be communicated with. Do they like Mm -hmm. agendas for their meetings? Do they like scheduled meetings or drop-ins? And a lot of managers we find are very uncomfortable with that. And they'll say, oh, whatever it is you want so you have to watch them and then see what they prefer and what they respond better to because we all have preferences we all have things that make it easier for us to work in a certain way and be most effective and the the job of of you know it, it it's a shared responsibility for for to figure out what the job is but we don't as a as a leader i don't have control over what my manager does or what my peers do so i have to figure that out for myself um and that's really the the solution is is learning to listen learning to observe and and using that to to go forward
1: Mm-hmm. And and I think the, the observation is really good. And um, I, I want to come to another question around that, <laughs> because you said you said people do what they're comfortable with. And we've we've seen many times, not just managers, I mean, not just leaders, but also, you know, uh, individuals doing things for colleagues, like saying, you know, I'm going to do it myself. And if you're a leader, if you start to do what you, what do your direct reports do? I mean, uh, what does that say about your leadership style or, or should you n- not do that? And, you know, sometimes it's easy to say, I can do it faster than giving it to, to um, John, you know? Um, so do you see, yeah, go ahead.
2: I'm all the I see this all the time. I have a client that I just wrapped up with and he was a he is a brilliant scientist he's really smart he's really capable he knows what he's doing and he communicates extremely well and what he ended up doing was rewriting a lot of people's decks and presentations and text editing them and so when he came to me he was incredibly stressed out and overwhelmed by all the work he had to do so we had to spend some time talking about okay what are the things that you're doing that you can let go of what are the things you could you do that are not absolutely critical to your role and we discovered that he could do the editing at a much higher level the expectation that other people step up to the plate so he could stop doing what he was doing and focus on what his job really was which was thinking strategically thinking long term thinking globally so Mm -hmm. it's that's really the the people do what's comfortable or they do what they like um or they do what they know a lot of the time so people will say i'll do it myself because that one time it's much more efficient for them to do it themselves. It's true. And sometimes they are better than the other people around them. But the 20th time you've done it, it wasn't efficient. So by the end of that year, you've you've used up an enormous amount of time. And we all know that our single most valuable resource is time, because you yeah. can't add more of it.
1: Mm-hmm. And And this hits really on the nose of the question of delegation, Bill. Okay. So, I mean, I've seen leaders that are that are excellent or maybe over-delegation. I've seen leaders that, that absolutely don't know how to delegation. How, how do you work with leaders to understand what the right level of delegation is?
2: So one of the critical things that we talk about in the book is building what's called your working job description. So this is a description of what are the critical elements of the job of your job that really only you can do? And what are the things that are other people can do as well as you do? And so when you do that, it's, um, you figure out what is it that's critical for me to be doing? How am I supposed to be doing it? What are people needing from me and expecting from me? And that will allow you to, um, go, go forward and, Um, emphasize what you really need to do and let them do it. So the key to delegation and empowerment is really figuring out what your job really is and what their job really is and making sure they're empowered to do that job and not always having to come to you and having to vet things through you and get your opinion on everything. So Mm -hmm. the more you empower and build up the people around you, the more you're able to do your own job.
1: Mm -hmm. And, you know, I want to have a question on this to drill down because I've read a lot and I've read a lot about delegation. And a lot of the things I read with leadership training for women is that women have a tendency to delegate less than men. Um, Or have you had this experience? Is there any hands or feet to this kind of, you know, speculation?
2: I'm I'm always a little reluctant to make global statements about women yeah. and men but um, there is some research that shows that women are more likely to feel like they need to be able to do a job mm. before they get promoted into that job. So I think a lot of time, and men tend to get promoted into the job and then figure it out on the job. Mm. So I think women do have somewhat of a tendency to hold on to things because they feel like they need to show mastery of it. I think that it's it's fair to say that women also – have high, people generally have higher expectations or higher requirements of mm. women to do what's considered a good job? I think it's harder for women to be successful in organizations for that reason.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you. I mean, um, that that was a question that just popped into my head when you were talking mm-hmm. about delegation. So we're going to take a short break now, and when we come back, Bill, I'd like to drill down a little bit more into your book and talk about you know influence and impact in the position and, and working with others and in, in the corporation. So for our listeners, we are talking with Dr. Bill Berman, and he's a co-author of Influence and Impact, Discover and Excel at What Your Organization Needs from You the Most. And this book is available on Amazon. And he is also the head of Berman Leadership, which is also a Forbes Coaches Council Leadership Company, and you can find Bill on his website under BermanLeadership.com, on Twitter under Dr. Bill Berman and on LinkedIn under Berman leadership. So please look up Bill and go to Amazon for the book. The show is also brought to you by Cinda and Cinda is one of Europe's leading nonprofit organization helping SMBs and SMBEs in Europe go digital. And with that we're gonna take a short break and we'll be right back back.
2: future of online tv is here view exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else visit voiceamerica.tv today
0: be sure to like the voice america business channel on facebook you'll find out about up to the minute business happenings and get ideas from entrepreneurs and business professionals search voice america business or click the like button under the player and stay ahead of the curve
1: Welcome back to Leadership Beyond Borders on Voice America's Business Channel, and I'm Kimberly Lewis, your host, and today we're talking about influence and impact in in your job, and we're talking with Dr. Bill Berman, and he is a co-author of Influence and Impact, Discover and Excel at What Your Organization Needs from You the Most, and this is available on Amazon. And he is also the head of Berman Leadership, uh, which is a Forbes Coaches Council company. And uh, welcome back, Bill. So let's go to where we left off. Thank you for answering the question on gender. I know that's always a little bit touchy and you, you can't do that globally, but um, there are studies out there and I've read them too. So I appreciate you addressing that. Um, so well, let's move on a little. Yeah, let let's move on a little bit. Okay, so let's say we're we're in the job now. Okay, we we get there, we think we understand it. Um, let's talk about how how you can how one can increase their influence in the job. You know. Um, You know, how do you accept your situation, take the first step? You talk about that. Uh, What do you do once you're in there? So
2: it's really important to to understand what we mean by influence. I think of influence as the ability to get other people to understand that you're a can-do person, that you're going to get the job done for them, and that you're on their side, that you're one of them. And Mm -hmm. that you do that— First and foremost, by knowing what your job is and doing that job so you deliver time after time reliably, consistently, you do what you say you're going to do, and you do a good job of it. And that's the first step to to building influence because once people know you're a go-to person, they're going to go to you and ask you for help. And so once you've established that piece of it, which is what a lot of the first half of the book is about, then you really can start asking for more responsibilities and more opportunities. And you do that by continuing, by helping to solve problems that the organization has, by helping to deal with issues that other people haven't been able to solve, and by helping the people around you achieve their goals. So it's a you know, a lot of people yeah. think of the workplace as a zero sum game where if I win, you lose, and if you win, I lose. But in mo, that's true some of the time. But in mm-hmm. most of the time, it's really a we will all do better. Uh, I will do better if we all do better. So all boats rise on a rising tide. Mm-hmm.
1: So this is when you say this is kind of it clings to me on reliability, demonstrating reliability within the position. Um, Absolutely. Deliverate. Okay. That would be the first step. So when, when you're in this position, Bill, I mean, some of us, uh, if we can talk about context for a minute, some of us work better in some situations than others. Um, you know, I want to demonstrate this reliability. I want to, you know, get people to, to I don't want to say notice me, but to understand I will deliver. Um How do I know, you know, which context I work better in um, and how do I handle situations where I might not be as effective?
2: So I think that's a a, that's a great question. And it's a critical part of the book because you're right. Everyone has um, conditions that they will work better in and conditions where they don't work as well. Some people work very well in a high-pressure, uh, energetic environment. Some people work much better in a quiet, stable, consistent environment. Some people work better with a, 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 a hands-off manager. Some people like a lot of supervision. So it's really important to d- take the work, do the work to understand yourself and understand what your strengths are, what your weaknesses or development areas are, what your values are and what your preferences are. And if you figure out um, what those things are, um, then you'll really have a good sense of, of what environments you work best in Mm -hmm. and if you're and and it's really a matter of matching it's not a matter of whether you're any good or not and it's not a matter of whether the company is good or not it's really a matter of do your values and your strength do your values match with the company's values at least to some degree and do your strengths fit with the requirements of the job you're in
1: Mm -hmm. And how, as an individual, how how do I go about, you know, understanding that myself? Because, I mean, sometimes people have kind of a false self-portrait. And How do you determine your strengths?
2: Well, a critical part of that in the workplace is learning about yourself from other people. Um, Mm -hmm. It's not about how I think of myself. It's how do other people think about me? Because... A lot of times what we what we intend our impact to be is not what it is. So there's an Uh unintended. There's a there's our what we think we're doing. And then there's how other people experience that. And uh, you've probably heard of Carol Dweck's work on growth and fixed mindsets. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you have a growth mindset, then you can then what other people tell you about yourself and about how you're affecting them is an opportunity for growth and mastery. If you have a fixed mindset what other people tell you about you is much more judge feels much more judgmental or evaluative. And so you can get, we all get particularly as you move into more senior roles, you've gotten feedback from your managers, from peers, from your team members, from friends and colleagues for years. And you probably have a pretty good sense of where you're, what you're good at and what you're not. And the question is, do you use that from a growth mindset to help you, Be even better, or do you use a fixed mindset and see that as a judgment or evaluation? Mm
1: -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, that that is an important and it's a very uh, important part of part of your own development. And um, let me let me take a step further because we're talking about us, you know, me, how I can help develop myself, or our listeners, how they can help develop myself. So, what role here does the senior leadership build in trying to? to help develop their people, you know, and know which situations they may be effective in, which situations where they, you know, which strengths they have. Um, what do senior leaders have to look out for? I
2: think the best senior leaders put an enormous amount of time and energy into making sure their people develop and leverage their strengths. And f- develop the areas that they need to develop in. Um, Ron Charan, who was um, probably one of the most senior greatest coaches around for the past 20 years or so, um, said that, that senior managers, senior executives should be spending a third of their time on people. And I think that's absolutely right. You need to focus as a as a senior executive. You you only succeed through the strengths of the people around you. So it's your job to build those people up and to build the pipeline up of talent that you need and will need in the organization going forward. So we have a whole chapter in the book on what managers can do to senior managers can do to help their people grow and develop and how you can coach and advise them it's it's really that's a central piece of this is they taking the steps to give people feedback to be direct and honest with them in a constructive way and to help them find the jobs that are that they really are best at
1: Mm-hmm. And and this I'm circling back to what you said before that sometimes people are uncomfortable about giving giving those new that news. Okay, yeah. so if you have if you have somebody who you know is not in the best situation, but they must not. I mean, what do senior liter- leaders have to do just to step up to that? Because they do have to step up and get over that threshold of being uncomfortable.
2: You know, there are two parts to where senior leaders, I think. Uh, become uncomfortable. I think one part is that they're afraid that the feedback they give will alienate or hurt the feelings of the person. Mm And they're afraid that if they do that, it will disrupt what the person's supposed to deliver and do for them. So they focus. They prefer to focus only on the positive things and sort of skip over the the problem areas. I think the other thing is that people are uncomfortable giving tough feedback. It's very it's mm. much easier to, to give feedback on a task or a project. So what did you do and, and, and what were the things that you got done and how quickly did you get them done? Most senior leaders can give feedback on that. Giving feedback on someone's style or leadership posture or how they fit into the culture, people have a much harder time with that because it feels judgmental to them, Mm -hmm. rather than feeling like, oh, you can fix this particular skill, it feels like it's a judgment about the other person, Mm -hmm. and they just, most people are uncomfortable with that, but it's, it's really, that's not um, what, what happens is when you give people feedback, most people are going to hear it and use it and take advantage of it to improve how they play.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, and and this is also, I mean, this is a development. So, I'm um, one of the things that I that you had in your book is you talk about, you know, as you move up the ladder and as you move up the organization. So, I'm in a manager's position now, and then I'm going to a senior manager's position. And um, as you do that, you're trying to develop yourself, but you're going to come across all kinds of. Different kinds of people—people people more determined than you are, people who um, have different values. How do you work through those situations?
2: So, in a business setting, um, there are definitely people. There are people who are competitive. There are people who are aggressive. There are people who are sociopathic, even. Um, mm-hmm. But and you have to find ways to deal with them. The best way you do that is by building up your own network of people, because most people aren't that way. So mm-hmm. if you build up your network in the organization of relationships, then when you run into those difficulties with a particular person, you've got a whole cadre of people who are there to back you up and to support you. And that's going to get your message across. Uh, much more effectively than, than having to go to battle with some individual because they want the same job you want. It's, you really have to, you have to think about it from a long-term standpoint. Think of, of these things as campaigns. And a critical part of the campaign is who's in your network, who's a supporter of you, um who's willing to go to bat for you? Who feels like you've done things for them, and so they want to return the favor?
1: Mm-hmm. and 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 that sounds like that 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 network that you're building up, the relationships that kind of goes back to what you what you said in the first place is the influence, building, you know, building that that network where people recognize you for what you're delivering. So it kind of for me, it's sounding like a circle. You know what I mean the relationships, the influence. Um, it all plays a role.
2: Absolutely. It's a and you're right. It is a circle because the more you build those relationships, the more influence you develop, which gives you opportunity to have a bigger impact. And then that gives you helps you to build those relationships even further. So it, becomes, it, it keeps going around and around. And it's um, whether you're staying in the same company, whether even if you're staying in the same job or you're moving to a new job, that having that influence, being one of those key people that that care or what, what some organizations call culture carriers can be really important to the organization and for your own development.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. So with that, we're going to take a short break, Bill, and when we come back, um, I want to talk about culture, and I want to talk about uh, values and emotions and what roles they play in this whole big picture. And um, For our listeners, we are talking with Dr. Bill Berman, and he is the co-author of Influence and Impact, Discover and Excel at What Your Organization Needs from You the Most, and this book is available on Amazon. And he is also the head of Berman Leadership, and they are a Forbes Coaches Council company. And... You can reach out to them by reaching out to Bill on his website at BermanLeadership.com and also on Twitter under Dr. Bill Berman and on LinkedIn under Berman Leadership. So please look the book up on Amazon and reach out to him over his website. This broadcast is also being brought to you by Cinda. And Cinda is one of Europe's fastest growing nonprofit digital marketing and local search associations. Cinda holds virtual trainings, conferences, market research, and legislative white papers focused on digital. So to learn more about Cinda, please go to www.cinda.org. And Cinda will be also holding its first live conference, in berlin october 10 to 13th and if you'd like to learn more about that go to www.lacinda.org and with that we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back
2: the future of online tv is here View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv
0: today. Be sure to like the Voice America Business Channel on Facebook. You'll find out about up-to-the-minute business happenings and get ideas from entrepreneurs and business professionals. Search Voice America Business or click the Like button under the player and stay ahead of the curve. are listening to Leadership Beyond Borders. Do you have a question or comment about our show? Please send an email to leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Again, that's leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Now back to this week's program.
1: Welcome back to Leadership Beyond Borders on Voice America's business channel. And I'm Kimberly Lewis, your host. And today we're talking about influence in the workplace um, impact deliverables in the workplace and how senior leaders as well as ourselves can can make bigger impacts and we're talking with Dr. Bill Berman and he is a co-author of influence and impact discover and excel at what your organization needs from you the most and this is available on Amazon so Bill um, we're let's talk about culture Okay, because that's something everybody talks about, you know, okay, what, you know, how what what are the dimensions of organization culture and, and what impact does it have on, you know, the way somebody performs?
2: So, you know, the 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 one of the most overused statements about culture is that culture eats strategy for breakfast. <laughs> um, and it's uh, and the way I think about it is that culture and strategy are the are two of the legs that an organization stands on and the third is really the people um but you have you have all organizations have a structure and a strategy and all organizations have a culture and when i talk about culture what we really mean is how do people make decisions how do people communicate how do they think about authority and responsibility um, how do they solve problems? How important is collaboration versus uh, independence? And those kinds of things. So you know it they vary by um, co- they vary by country. They vary by continent. And they can vary, even within an organization, there can be subcultures. Uh, There's one company I work with where the home office has one particular culture and the sales force, which is not in the home office, has a very different culture. Mm -hmm. But most so you have to understand that the particular context that you're working in, but you have that. What happens if you don't understand the culture is that you will do things you'll even if you're being successful you'll do those things in a way that make it hard for people to hear or see or understand what you're doing or they feel like it's not connected to them mm-hmm. and that just makes it that less makes it less valuable so understanding you know we talk about cultural agility and cultural competence in psychology a fair amount you have to have cultural agility and cultural competence within different organizations as
1: well. Mm-hmm. Um, when you talked about that company with the sales, what, uh, a, a idea popped into my head where I've seen um, cultural issues and it, a lot of times between mother companies and subsidiaries, okay, especially – and I'm going to try not to mix the word culture because I don't want to say, you know, between Europe and the States, because then people will think I'm talking about German culture versus U.S. culture. But I'm talking about the company culture, you know, a subsidiary, a subsidiary may have a certain culture in and just use New York or Texas. OK, Um how, how important it is for a co- corporation to have some kind of basis culture, or maybe I'm mixing that with values, okay? Um, you know, what role does values play with the culture so that then you have the same values, but you might have different cultures? Am I making it all sense here? Okay. <laughs>
2: Absolutely. So um, – Every company, you know, we start with values, um, and and we're not talking about the sort of pie-in-the-sky idealistic values that that everybody can espouse. But what are the decisions – how does a company make decisions about how they operate? And that's based in values. It's based in values like that, how much you value autonomy, how much you value – independence, how much you value um, authority, how much you value uh, the collective. And those kinds of those kinds of values will determine a lot about the culture that you have. And you Mm -hmm. you said that, you know, part of it is determined by where your company is um, in the world, but a lot of it is determined by the leadership Um, I find cultures tend to cascade down from the top. Mm -hmm. So, and leaders, executives, CEOs, whatever you call them, will set that tone and how they behave will determine how other people behave and they behave based on their own values and beliefs. So that cascades down into the organization. In more senior, more more developed organizations, that culture can persist even when you change executives. They, they hold on to a culture very strongly um, for years or decades. Um, I did some work once at Goldman Sachs, and they have a very well-established culture. And it just can, goes on from place to place and person to person, and it stays, it stays an integral part of everybody who works there.
1: Mm hmm. And and when you, I'm glad you said cascade down, because I can I can feel that and picture that. And when you do have a strong leader, sometimes it does to cascade down. Um, that is also a very difficult thing, Bill, when you're, you know, cascading down through through different countries, you know, trying to keep that value and keep that message. Um, I think of one company who does that pretty well is Lego, for example. I've yep. seen a lot of things with them. But I, I think that's important on on for our listeners to to understand that that strength has to be on the top. Um, so, Bill, you know, on this impact, coming back to this impact part, okay, just from leaders yep. and myself, um, I'd like to ask the Loaded question that what's happening now? I mean we have you know we have now changed the way we work okay home offices are here um you know there's remote management uh how has this shift in our work style affected some of the things that you're talking about now in the book um is it exactly the same regardless if you're in person or not how do I make an impact when actually i'm in home office uh, you know seven five days a week six days a week
2: you know it's a great question and i see people dealing with that on a day-to-day basis and at one level um it hasn't changed it's still about can you do what you said you were going to do the when you said you were going to do it the way you said you were going to do it so can you Meet your your obligations and your commitments and do that in a consistent, reliable way. So that piece hasn't changed. But the how you do it has changed because now we're not in a meeting. We're not talking face to face. I don't have any of those nonverbal signals that I used to rely on. To, to tell me what to do or how to do it. I've had a number of managers who said to me, you know, I used to understand how, what was going on with my team because I could walk around and I could chat with them and I could see what they're doing. And now I don't have that option. So how do I how do I deal with people when when I don't really understand what's going on for them? And one of the things that's happened in a virtual world is you have to ask more questions. You have to ask people. You have to start to get comfortable asking someone, how are you feeling? How are you doing? How's the work going? Rather than just sort of observing them and picking up on nonverbal signals. So that's a huge change. And I think the I, I can't help but think that the virtual culture the hybrid culture, the work from home context is gonna change organizational cultures and gonna change the way people work together. It's, you know, we are basically social animals, human beings, mm-hmm. and, and we do need that human contact. And it, it works because um, we use all five senses when we build relationships. We don't just, it's not just verbal or an auditory. Mm-hmm. It's visual, it's sensory, it's touch, it's smell. Uh, you know, it's, it's the context. All five senses play a role in the relationships we build and the culture we build and the work we do. So you've really got to, you know, people are going to have to work harder to build those relationships and maintain that culture in a virtual world. But it's not really new I mean, you're you're an American, I think, who works in in Europe um, and does a global show. So there are a lot of people who work in global companies who have been managing virtually for years. Um, It's it's just more ubiquitous now. And Mm -hmm. and I think it's it's and it's at scale. So it's much it's a lot of people who are used to working with somebody who's right down the hall from them or literally in the cube next to them is going to have to get used to working in that way as well.
1: Yeah, and, and I think I think for leaders, and, and tell me if my um, assumption is wrong, it, it's, it's harder. We did an EU study here. Um, it said that 35% of the Europeans in the study, I think it was 13 countries, um, really don't like virtual work. They want to get back to the office. And I think as a leader, you have to be, Extra sensitive now to see who's really comfortable and in, in this new working world and who's not comfortable. Um, do you have that same experience in the U.S.?
2: Absolutely. I think the the whole pandemic has made it clear that there are different groups of people. So, in addition to just personal preference, if I have if I'm home and I have three kids under ten running around the mm-hmm. house working in the house. I'm not going to be as comfortable doing my job. And even though people have come to accept that we all are human beings and we have dogs that run into the room and <laughs> kids that come by and say, Can I go out and play? You know, which we all used to pretend didn't happen. Um, it's, um, you know, it, th- those people are just not going to be as comfortable. And, you know, one of the things we saw in New York City was you've got somebody who's sitting in a 500 square foot apartment alone by themselves and they're doing it for months at a time. They're going stir crazy. They wanna mm. get back to the social context of the office. And a lot of, I have a, I have a 25 year old son. Um, when he first, he moved to Houston from, from uh, Pittsburgh uh, after college for his job. And if he didn't have an office to go into and people to interact with, I think he would have been terribly lonely. Yeah. So it you know I, there and then there are other people who just like working from home and don't want to have to do an hour commute each way. You know, for me personally, I part of the reason I was able to write the book was I got 12 hours of commuting time every week back by not wow. having to the <laughs> year. Yeah.
1: That- that's New York. <laughs> so, uh, Phil, we're getting towards the end of the show. Um, we only have a couple more minutes, so I, I want to just kind of wrap this up. This is great. Um, the book's great for our listeners. Um, impact, making an impact. If you had, if you had, kind of one final or one word for. Um, our listeners out there, maybe uh, the best piece of advice you can give to our listeners about, you know, being comfortable in your job, making an impact, um, what would that be? you, can take, you got a be, couple of minutes, yeah.
2: Yeah. So the first thing is know yourself. Make sure that you know who you are and not just who you are inside, but how you come across to other people. Second is make sure you understand what's really expected from your job by this people who who you are impacting. So by your colleagues, by your manager, by your manager's manager. And you said it right at the beginning and understand how your your job contributes to the overall goal of the organization. That's incredibly important. And I think the third piece is know your culture. Know how the organization operates, know how they make decisions, know how they collaborate. And so you understand yourself, you understand your job, and you understand the context. Mm -hmm. And you're going to have a a real impact. That's going to really make a difference for you.
1: That's great. Great advice for all of us. And if you had to, to add one thing for the leaders up there who are actually leading people, what would that be?
2: So... A critical part of leadership is building a culture and building an organization. So it's making sure that you've created the culture that you want to create in the organization and that you've got a team of organizations and um a team of people who can deliver what you need them to deliver. So the more you give them the authority and the power and control to do things within the culture of your organization, the more effective you're going to be.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, thanks, Bill. Great last words. Um, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. Uh, really insightful. And for our listeners, we've been talking with Dr. Bill Berman, and he is the co-author of Influence and Impact, Discover and Excel at What Your Organization Needs from You the Most. And this is available on Amazon, Um, highly recommended, a great read. He is also the head of Berman Leadership. And Berman Leadership is a Forbes Coaches Council company. And you can learn more about his company on www.bermanleadership.com and Berman is B-E-R-M-A-N. And he's also on LinkedIn under Berman Leadership. And on Twitter, under Dr. Bill Berman. So, Bill, again, thank you so much. It's been wonderful.
2: Kimberly, you've been a great host, and I've really enjoyed the conversation.
1: Yeah, well, me too. Thank you so much and for our listeners also this show is being brought to you by cinda and cinda is one of europe's fastest growing nonprofit digital marketing and local search associations cinda holds virtual trainings conferences market research and legislative white papers focused on digital so to learn more about cinda please go to www.cinda.org and please listen to us every tuesday 3 p.m specific time and Until next week, have a great weekend. Tune in again next week. Thank you.
0: Thank you for joining us on Leadership Beyond Borders. Please tune in again next Tuesday at 3 p.m. U.S. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Kimberly J. Lewis, on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.